welcome to My First Dungeon, the tabletop role-playing podcast where we help game masters learn new games and make each one better than the last. About a year ago, I sat down with today's guest for an interview that was slated to last for about an hour. Before we started rolling, he asked me if I had anywhere to be that day, and I said no. <laughs> about three and a half hours later, we stopped recording on what I believe to be one of the most formative conversations of my TTRPG <laughs> career that has impacted the way I think about role-playing games, podcasting, and running a business. At that time, today's guest ran a production company called Fortunate Horse that produced three amazing, successful shows you probably heard of, Fun City, Obese Those Stars of Space, and Rude Tales of Magic. Last week, he launched episode one of Fortunate Horse's fourth show. You may have heard of it. It is called Worlds Beyond Number. Please welcome back Taylor Moore. How you been, man? That was a year ago. I know, right? Oh, shit. What a year. I, my, my conception of time is done. Gone. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I did too many whippets when I was 19 years old. I don't know. Maybe I'm squirking <laughs> too much. I don't know. But I, I could not. If you had asked me to guess when we last spoke, I would have said six weeks ago. <laughs> oh, God. No, it was April last year, my man. Oh, I looked it up. God. I looked it up. Oh, my God. That's insane. <laughs> well, it's great to be back, Brian. Thanks for having me. Really great to have you back. So I, I got to know. I mean, your, your conception of time might be, might be off at this point. Where was yeah. Worlds Beyond Number the last time we spoke? Was it was I it even around in your in your head yet? Was it being worked on? I was auditioning for it. I don't know if I had gotten it at that point. Maybe but I had either just gotten it or I was about to get it last in in April 2022. Because they so uh the cast decided they wanted to do this thing, which is something, you know, I had been pitching to Brendan since before he moved to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And uh and you know, they're they're relatively big names uh in certain, yeah, a little bit, yeah. certain, certain circles uh and so you know every every podcast production company on the planet wanted to when they heard they wanted to get in the podcasting game they wanted to all the production companies wanted a piece of it uh and fortunate horses you know at that time it was just me i mean there's just a single there's a production company legally but it's just a guy just me Right. Um, and so you know i had to we had to pitch and we talked and some some um some example episodes were made and things like that. Uh, but yeah, around that time, I, I think around like late March, April is when we were, when we were doing the handshake and saying, let's do this thing. And they had already recorded a lot of audio, a lot of uh, the earliest character creation audio, which you can now hear mm -hmm. on our public feed. And it's much like 10 hours, somewhere between eight and 10 hours of it on the Patreon feed. It's in the episode on the, on the public feed. It's called, the episode is called Preludes. You can hear that, uh, that audio that they had already recorded more than a year ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so it was very, and it's still very early, early stages a year ago. And a boy, a lot has changed. <laughs> I'm curious, what, what was your pitch to them? And like, what did you bring to them? What did Fortunate Horse, what did Taylor Moore add to this project that you wanted to see it become? Right. Uh, Number one is, you know, there aren't a lot of uh, other production companies or, or big podcasts, places that share the vision of what actual play really is, like what it can be. If you strip away all the bullshit categories and the small mindedness and like just the, the, the cultural momentum that we associate with certain genres of art, if you strip all that away, actual play, quote unquote, actual play is possible. 
it is it is it is much bigger and more fruitful mm-hmm. than people mostly assume. And that's even people in the games world, I think, still have a very limited understanding of what's possible with it. And especially if you go outside the games world into the podcast world, where they don't know a damn thing about anything, uh, <laughs> they don't know what it can be. But I know what it can be. And, I, you know, I, so I, I respect the genre. And, uh, you know, I, I think what really cemented the deal was how we synced up on creative. The, the actual creative vision of the show. What kind of art can this practice produce? Um, I think, you know, most people in the podcast world don't really understand the power that it has. You know, and these big companies too, it's like, you know, you get this sort of, this sort of corporate decay of the human spirit where no <laughs> one's really emotionally invested in it, right? No one has this like energy of like vision and dedication to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas that is one of the few services I can confidently offer without error is my excitement. So, uh, you know, I, I think that that was eventually the, the thing that tipped the scales and made it very clear that it was a partnership that was sort of meant to be. I mean, I don't think, you know, not, not to blow too much smoke up your ass, but I don't think there's a better actual play TTRPG production company than Fortunate Horse. I think the things you guys do oh, with thank you. all your shows is, is the thing that everyone should be aiming for if they're not already. Oh, thank you so much. I, you know, I've, I've been seeing a lot of that chatter, too, since Worlds Beyond Number came out. Because Worlds Beyond Number has introduced a lot of people to our style of show, mm-hmm. right? Which is not always heavily edited, but very thoughtfully uh, edited, which is not new. Which is not, That's not original. There's a lot of well-thoughtfully edited shows. Um, uh, and also, a, like, full score, you know, music and the sound design and everything. Now, a lot of people have not, a lot of people that are hearing Worlds Beyond Number had never heard a podcast like that, like that. They had never heard, especially a actual play show made in that way. So they're becoming exposed to that sort of medium for the first time, which is very funny because, like, this is an old genre. You know, right. like, radio plays, radio dramas existed before everyone who's listening to Worlds Beyond Number were born. This is an old medium that a lot of folks are discovering for the first time. And they're saying, oh, you know, I I never knew an actual play. I'm seeing people on social media say, oh, I, I never know actual plays or anything could be like this, which is great. I love that. But also, there's a whole world of audio fiction and actual oh, yeah. plays and narrative play that are well produced and scored. And so, you know, it's not just bringing people to a new show. Thousands of people coming into a whole new genre of entertainment a whole new medium that's pretty cool to see and so but, but i don't i don't want to think i don't want everyone to think that like everyone has to be like that you know not every movie has to be a special effects extravaganza sure. it's good to have a variety of things i i hope that <laughs> uh, inevitably with the success of worlds beyond number we'll see some copycats but i hope that it doesn't pressure people to take projects that need a lighter more delicate uh, 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 touch um, that don't need the bombast of the grand fantasy uh, epic. Um, I hope it doesn't pressure uh, more delicate shows to feel that they have to have, you know, big brass orchestras blaring all the time. I think what I like about it, though, is that it does present to, to people who hadn't really conceptualized this as a possibility. It now presents them with the option of like the fullness of the spectrum that maybe we weren't seeing before, which is a lot of what we talked about the last time was like, Mm. Or, you know, our thesis of our last conversation, and if you haven't listened to the last conversation, check it out, was that actual play as like a phrase, as as a category, was so broad, contained so many things, that it was being overly constricted by everything being defined as actual play, when there's actually a spectrum from, you know, critical role as being, you know, 
pure actual play. Everything you see is what you get versus something like Rude Tales or now Worlds Beyond Number that is edited or heavily edited or like scored in a way that it's very intentional. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like you're thinking of the listener first rather than the player first. How there's that very large spectrum. And what I like about all the, you know, I'm very glad for the cast success. I'm extremely glad for your success. I think the show so far, what I've heard is amazing. I listened to the first episode last night. We'll talk more about your sound design and score later because I can go on on that for a while. What I like about it is that it shows someone the full breadth of what quote unquote actual play can be. And like now they can move from anywhere on that spectrum knowing that that spectrum exists. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think that's rad. I think it's great. I, I've, I, I love to introduce people to like the, like this, this. Oh, well, you can do it this way. There's a new possibility. You can push it this big. I think that like one of the, the biggest, one of the biggest sources of joy for me in regards to that is like, I, I know how you feel at the table. Like when you're in the zone with a group of friends and it's everything's hitting and it's feeling great, that feeling rules. The reason we can talk about things like the tabletop community, which is a phrase I hate, uh, (laughs) but you know what I mean? Like everyone who, the only thing we can all agree on is that we love that feeling. Yeah. Right? That feeling is the thing. You know, we all, people like in sports, people might have, oh, I'm an Eagles man. I'm a big bear boy. I like a tiger. I don't, I'm not a sports guy. I'm Those are all things you're nailing it so animals. far. Yeah. Uh, seals, seals for me, please. No, they, oh, you, you lost the seals right this season? Okay, <laughs> fuck. Um, <laughs> but we can all agree we love to see those big boys throw those balls around. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> tabletop community. The one thing we can agree is there is a feeling you're always chasing at the table of when it's hitting, and it's impossible to describe, but it's joy. It's a, it's a, it is a kind of incredible joy that we use these tools of rules and and other people and narrative to, to, to get us to that place. That I can, that we can make this show that captures some of that feeling that's how you feel. Because when, when you know, in the, in the same way that when you're watching a great movie, you forget you're watching a movie. When you're reading a great book, you forget you're reading a great book. When you're in a great table game at home, it, that goes away. You're in the theater of the mind. You're in the moment. The story's fucking real. I mean, I'm giving myself goosebumps because I'm remembering <laughs> a specific moment from a game I played seven years ago. Uh, you know, when it's like, I remember, I'm I rem- I'm remembering this moment uh, when Luke Crane, the creator of Torchbearer and uh, uh, oh, wow. Burning Wheel was my DM for this game. And I remember this moment where we found the guy, the, the, the head bad guy in the caverns uh, in the classic uh, uh, old school uh, module, Keep on the Borderlands. Um, we got there and we had this big fight. I remember that moment. And to be able to like give people that feeling again, you know, I can't put friends at the table. I can't mm-hmm. have you make all these characters for years and do all that stuff. But to take this table game, the, the Brennan and, and, and the cast, to take their game and give it that same sort of feeling that we're all chasing at the table, that is the goal. And to like to see that hitting with people, it feels amazing. That that to me is like that is the success we were after. It's a great answer. It's a great. I mean, that's what we're all trying to do. And I think your show is doing it. I think all of your shows are doing it well. And I think I'm just so excited for so many more people to like get to feel that. Because I, I know there's so many people who yeah. love actual play shows. And if you get into like a hardcore actual play show, you can get that sensation. But having this more listener centric focus. It's an easier on-ramp for like for someone who's not interested to get into it mm. and for someone who is interested to get into it faster and deeper and harder. And I mean, after one 
episode of Worlds Beyond Number. I'm uh, I'm thinking of the 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 score when you guys um, go to uh, Abrias Gasuvi's uh, city and like there's the mm-hmm. like you know the army is coming back in uh, from from war. And I was just like, "Fuck! I'm like really there. This is great. This is so much fun." <laughs> oh, that's fun. great to hear. Yeah, and it's it's I uh, you know props to you just to make that space sound so big. I've tried to do that with things, and it's tough. <laughs> bass. You want bass, baby? It's I all know. about the bass. Scale is entirely on bass and reverberation. That's what you need. It's it's fucking great. We've gone 15 minutes into this, and just in case someone doesn't already know what Worlds Beyond Number is, can you give me a really quick well, sure. what's the logline of this show? Uh, why should people be checking it out? Sure. So uh, Worlds Beyond Number is a new podcast project from four superstars of online actual play streaming. All right. They all do video stuff. You know them from Dimension 20 and LA by Night and all these different projects. You know, Brennan and uh, uh, Bria and Erica and Lou. They're fantastic. Starting a new sort of podcast umbrella project that's going to make these stories, right? We're going to play tabletop role-playing games and we're going to use these to tell stories and those stories are going to be produced into these, you know, grand audio epics. And the first one, our first story in this new show is called The Wizard, the Witch, and the Wild One and it is going to be a years-long D&D campaign, which is something that these these cast members don't get to do. You know, like, uh, we very much were interested in the first campaign being just like, relax. You do not have to hit an episode quota or time or anything. This can run at the pace of a home game. We're taking the characters from, we did 10 hours of character creation. Just <laughs> rolling, right? Hour nine, Abria's rolling for her skill points or whatever. Right. Uh, you know, and like we really drag it out and give time and, and, and let Brennan and the cast build this giant world, right? Like, it has continents. There's different empires. And, oh, you know, we've talked about how, behind the scenes, of course, mm-hmm. like, oh, well, how is this empire different? How is this culture different? How do they see magic different? Like, it's big, which is the, that scale of play, which is what most people are after in their home games, right? Yeah. Like, this, this years-long D&D epic. They don't get a chance to do that in their lives or professionally anymore. So they were very excited about that. And so was I, because I love, I want this big grand fantasy epic. Um, Because, you know, Fortune Horse, we don't really sort of have, you know, we don't really have the sort of Tolkien-esque. And and Worlds Beyond Number, well, The Wizard, the Witch, and the Wild One is very much inspired by uh, Miyazaki films, the Studio Mm -hmm. Ghibli movies, especially things like Mononoke and Howl's Moving Castle. Those are the the two big ones, but you can see a lot in there. Uh, The character creation arc that we made is very My Neighbor Totoro-esque. Yeah. Uh, It's, it's, you know, which is very intentional. Uh, But, you know, the other fortunate horror shows, we've got our, like, satirical cyberpunk noir um, we've got our Tex Avery cartoon, Terry Pratchett fantasy, and we've got our like Star Trek, uh, you know, surreal, insane Star Trek, legally distinct Star Trek show. That <laughs> uh, <laughs> is not, a, you know, Star Trek owned by Paramount Pictures, TM, uh, registered trademark Paramount Pictures. Uh, but we, we don't have, we don't have this big, sincere epic with a coherent, you know, take on like magic systems and these the 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 lore, this world building that you get in like these big grand fantasy epics. We don't have that. So I was very excited to work, you know, if they had said we want to do a surreal, bonkers, off the wall one shot of six episodes, I'd have been like, eh. You know, or if they were to be like, well, we want to do a fantasy Looney Tunes or like a a satirical cyberpunk noir. I'd be like, I already do that. I don't care. 
But now, no, 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 no. They wanted to create this big, massive mountain of a narrative. Um, and so I was just like, hell yeah, sign me up. Um, so the fact that it was already going to be very different from all the other Fortunate Horse shows was a big a big part of the pitch to me. I love that about it. When you talk about the scale of that, my thoughts go to, um, do you know in uh, Barcelona, there's the La Sagrada Familia, the like crazy church mm-hmm. that looks like yes. crazy spires. Gaudi designed that with full knowledge that he would not be alive to see it completed. So like made plans for things he knew wouldn't be able to be done in his lifetime with the technology that was available. I like someone coming into something knowing like, this is going to be way bigger than we even know right now. Let's just like fucking throw ourselves into it because we'll make it that epic by the time we get there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially, I mean, like, you know, building this, one of these giant fantasy worlds is something that Brennan doesn't really get to do with the way that his other projects are structured, which is, I mean, it's great for them. Like, I I think one of the coolest things Dimension 20 does at Dropout is the variety that they have, all mm-hmm. these different worlds and these different casts and these different takes and vibes for all these things. I love it. I mean, they're right in the middle of their first, I mean, not in the middle, but towards the end of their first real horror campaign. And that's so cool. They can go back and forth. And we are, we are too. Like we are going to do, Worlds Beyond Number is going to involve other campaigns and things. But I think for the next few years, the Wizard, the Witch, and the Wilds one is going to be our reliable bass drum beat that carries on. And in between it, we'll be able to sprinkle some one shots or, you know, some some sort of lighter lifts, smaller, you know, more lightly produced, uh, smaller arcs of three to six episodes. Maybe we'll bring in guests. It's a playground, right? right. It's, it's much more flexible because it's smaller, much more small team. Um, it's podcasting. So production-wise, we can be a lot more flexible and playful. Whereas with video, oh boy. I mean, you know, you can't, you know, you you have to you have to plan a video project like you're taking an army to war. Like mm-hmm. you have to plan your supply lines. You gotta plan crafty, you gotta know when crafty's getting there. You gotta know if you're gonna have vegan options on the menu for the guy, you know, for the for the person that's holding the bounce uh for the B team. My man, you're you're talking to an assistant director. Do, oh, I yeah, know. oh yeah, you know. I know. <laughs> it's with audio, it's, crazy. it's like yeah. Just like make sure you have a good mic at home. Audio, you can kind of turn on the dime. And then all all the production uh, headache is focused onto the guy that does the post-production. You know, which is fine. Right? I don't know, we, who, who cares about Who even is that guy, right? I mean, it's just What it's a, a dumb a sucker. Who, what idiot would sign up to be that 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 rube at the end of the process? You don't want to play the game. You just want to do the work? Sure, just fine, whatever. A bad deal. One of the things that I was super excited about that I heard in the preview episodes, and it's repeated again in the first episode, is Brennan saying that he was going to, like, because it's such a longer epic, he's going to put more narrative control in the hands of the players, which is something you find a lot in indie games. Mm-hmm. is much more common. In, like, 5e actual plays, that's not necessarily common. Like, usually uh, an actual play show, especially a long one, there's kind of a fiat. There's, like, DM's fiat. There's, there's a, a wall between the DM and the players. It's very much the DM is telling a story. That doesn't seem like it's necessarily going to be the case with Worlds Beyond Number, at least this campaign. Was that a deliberate thing that came out early or was that something that's like kind of evolved? Oh, yeah, 100%. No, that was like, and this happened before I was ever part of the project. I mean, you know, Brennan, in, in doing this in the streaming world for so long and meeting so many people in it, you know, they have, they sort of found each other. And I think that like any home game, you can push everything as far as 
the table allows. Mm-hmm. And at this table, at the at the world's beyond number table, there's a lot of trust and there's a lot of respect and appreciation for the ability of everyone, not just the DM, to contribute big building blocks to the narrative. We see the same thing at, at Fortune Horse, honestly, because you have pros who respect and love each other, who are very good storytellers, and they trust each other so that if I throw you a ball, you're not going to drop it. You're going to throw it back and we're playing catch now. Right. Whereas, you know, in other, and that's not true at every table. That's okay. You know, like the, the art form can contain all these other things. But with the world's beyond number, it is very much in, in the deep in the DNA of the show that the trust is there narratively that, yeah, you can, you can throw that ball back and forth between people. It's not going to be dropped. On this show, I've been playing a lot more indie games recently. We played Wander Home. We played Ten Candles. And a lot of the best narrative moments I found that are most satisfying are when the players take over that control, when it's shared at the table, when there is someone guiding the fun or guiding the story, but not necessarily dictating or controlling. So I'm really excited yeah, to look, see. I, I, this is the thing. It's, it, all tabletop role-playing games are vehicles to take us to a certain way of being. Right. So, yes, some vehicles might give you a different vibe along the journey. But really, ultimately, that final destination, it doesn't matter the vehicle you take to get there. And so I, I think that, you know, Joseph Campbell had this fantastic analogy for religion that re- a lot of like organized religion is like the, um, you know, y- y- you build a window so you can see outside the building. But eventually, over time, that window is some stained glass, there's some smoke. The window gets like sort of opaqued. You know, it gets colored or covered, and then it becomes just like another piece of the wall. We don't want to let, you know, all all tabletop role-playing games are windows that let us see and go to this other place, this other way of feeling. And we don't want to let those windows get so opaque that we confuse the tool for the job we were hoping to use the tool for. So, you know, I mean, I think that any game, chess, Chess, <laughs> I can imagine two people playing chess, narrativizing it, and getting to that place. And it's fine. This is not to say system doesn't matter. Depends on what you're going for. If you like solving puzzles but hate writing stories with your friends, play some Gloomhaven. Uh, right. You know, <laughs> right? All these different, fla- these different games can sort of offer sort of different flavors. But if you want to. If you want to get to this place where you're just telling a story with friends, these games are just aids to get you to that place because that's where the fun is. I'm sure that anyone playing in this game and anyone listening to this game is excited about like different things. Like I'm excited about players taking more control. I'm sure other people are now getting really excited about the sound design and stuff. As the producer of the show, what are you most excited about seeing this show become or or avenues you want to see it take? Is there something that's like kind of your, the thing that you're looking towards down the line that you're excited to get to? Mm-hmm. Gosh. I mean, I feel like I like obviously I want I want the story to move people, right? But I don't yeah. I feel like I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> like this crew can do it. And based off just the children's campaign in the first episode, like I think you're already on like the ball's already rolling down the hill. You just gotta make sure it doesn't doing, hit anything. Yeah, they're doing great. I hope I'm I'm trying to think about like my personal aspirations for for what we can achieve you know, aesthetically, I hope we can make the world feel real and lived in. Mm. Like, I really hope that we can show people this world that feels like a place they want to live and play. 
I want places to feel real. I want, I want the, the cultures and the sounds of the world to feel real and and and, and distinguished from each other. Yeah, I, I've, I, I want this to be a setting that we could return to. I want this to be a setting people could play themselves in. Yeah, for some reason, I, you know, yeah, I, that, that's one thing I'm really excited about is like having this setting that, that, uh, that I, we have the opportunity to spend so long in and therefore make feel real, uh, you know. But there's, but that's, <laughs> it's so funny because that is not how I think about it. Like that mm -hmm. when I think about my goals for the show, I don't say, oh, I want to have a great lived in, believable, wonderful setting that people love. It's like, I want to make my patrons happy. I want to like what, when I get out of bed in the morning, it's like, all right, here's in the day. Like I, I want to make Erica and Abria and Lou happy. Uh, I want to infuriate Brennan. <laughs> <laughs> Goals that everyone uh, should aspire yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's like, I, I really, what actually gets me excited is like making the patrons and the cast happy. I mean, like, that, that's, that makes it sound like I don't care about anyone else. That's not true. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, one thing I like about this kind of work and this kind of art that we make and the, the way we run the businesses is that we are all doing it for each other. And that, to me, gives me a lot of drive and meaning. You know? Yeah. So it's like, it's like all my aesthetic desires and hopes for, like, what my work or what the story of the show does – that's sort of like a fog that I don't see very distinctly, mm -hmm. probably because I trust the cast so much that I don't have to think about it distinctly. But also my number one concern is just like, how can I support the team? How can I, how can I show the listeners like a fucking incredible time? You know, I want, I want to see them crying. I want to see them gasping. I want, you know, like that's what I want to see. And I want to see my colleagues feel safe and I want to see you know, safe and supported and have agency and like have enough financial success to feel like they don't have to worry. Like those are the things that when I sit at my desk, that's front of mind. You have on the fortunate horse website on the about us page, a quote that I think is one of my favorite things I've ever read from anybody about business. The quote is all of our shows are majority fan-funded and controlled by the people who make them with cooperative profit-sharing and directed by consensus decision-making. This is a very bad way to make a lot of money really fast, but it is a great way to live. Yeah. That sentiment is exactly the way that I want to run anything that I ever do because it is, it's beautiful. Like choosing a community, choosing to support and provide value to that community, whatever that may be, and just making that everything yeah so i i really do and i don't want to you know sound patronizing but i really applaud this statement i think it is like the oh, coolest thing i've seen on you know as a mission statement for something it ain't easy i'll tell you this you know i i talk about because there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on there so and this this comes from you know uh, my experience in life and, and and things that have happened to me and things I've seen happen to others. But the two biggest influences on me as far as business, well, I'll say three things. There were three huge influences on me. One of them was working at Kickstarter and seeing, because uh, Kickstarter is a funny thing for a lot of reasons, but it's it's it also highlights how the internet is a very siloed place. That mm -hmm. is to say that you, people call it the bubble, right? Like you have your bubble, very, very small bubble that you curate based on what you see. But a lot, a lot happens outside that. But at Kickstarter and other platforms where I, am, I imagine are like this, you get to see 
the back end of the big picture, right? So I, you could, working there, I learned so much about dozens of different communities, of different businesses, of industries. I helped people launch a gravity blanket project that sold $7 million of gravity blankets. And I helped a comedian make her first web series. You know, uh, there was like the three episodes that she couldn't afford to make. And then, you know, and then she made, and all these different things, uh, you know, uh, a actual play podcast that wanted to make a setting book about their homebrew setting, published that for the first time, you know, all that sort of stuff across musicians and filmmakers and authors and artists and everything that's in uncategorizable, all these things I worked across all of them. And so I got to see the big picture of what the independent creator economy actually looks like, which put me in an extraordinarily privileged position because that sort of bird's eye view is rare. Mm -hmm. Like you, most people don't get to see it. I mean, physically, how would you? Logistically, how would you? All that data is captured in these private organizations. And I was only able to see it because I happened to work at one. So I got this bird's eye view of the entire independent creator economy. And so, and, 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 and I got to work with all these different people doing it in every different kind of way. I'd be, I got to sit in a room with Alejandro Yodorowsky. He was wearing a cape, by the way. And we got to talk about, we got to talk about strategy for his, you know, Kickstarter project. I got to meet, uh, 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 the mystery science theater 3000 crew. Oh, wow. And we shot like a video and I got to do a bit with my, it was just like, I, like all these different kinds of, and, and small ones too. And the number one takeaway after six years of meeting thousands of different projects and creators across industries, the number one takeaway was this. If you want a world that has independent culture in it, and that is to say that the production of cultural products is democratized. We want anyone, not just rich people, not just people of the socioeconomic caste or class in power. If anyone is allowed to produce culture, if you want that world, there has to be, has to be a material basis for that cultural product to be made. That means money, time, and resources. So to sum all that up, there's two versions of the world. One, all culture is made by rich people. Mm-hmm. And people with access to rich people. The other world is where everybody else also gets to make culture. But in that second world, you have to fight. You have to understand and you have to work the mechanics that produce the material. I did, This is not a good sum up. I'm just saying the same thing again in a longer <laughs> way. It's fine. It's fine. Money, it's folks. Money. If your shit doesn't make money, it will always either be a hobby or existing at the whim of a rich person. That's And that's just the truth of it. That is the truth. The, 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 the big stinky truth at the intersection of art and commerce is that somebody's paying for it. Somebody's got to pay for it. And if it's not democratized, then it's centralized. If it's centralized, all culture will always be under the control of the ruling class. Full stop. That's it. That became a lesson to me that, I, that was deep to my core important. So when I started Fortune and Horse, the philosophy is, regardless of what you want to make, Regardless of how important you think it is, all that, all that stuff, you do not stand a chance unless there is a firm, sustainable, material foundation that it can exist on. Otherwise, it will be a hobby. And if it's a hobby, that means the person who actually pays you, your boss, gets to decide 
right? When you get to do that hobby. So the only way that independent art can exist is if someone is in the background making sure that shit is paid for. So that was number, so that was, that was, that was the biggest thing, right? That was number one. It has, it has, it has to make money if it's going to last. Should art be made that isn't profit focused? Of course, but who pays for it? Who pays for it? Right? So always ask that question. If, if, you know, if people say art has got to be, it's got to, you, you got to have art without a profit motive. Okay. But that means that somewhere a rich person is saying, I like it, so I'll pay for it. At some point, at some, or it could just be a rich person that says, all right, I'll give you eight hours off on a weekend. You can do your hobbies then, make art then, right? Okay. So I'm very adamant about this. People don't like to talk about it, but I'm adamant about it. <laughs> <laughs> the second thing was a quote I read in a book. It was a book about screenwriting by uh, Ben Garant and Tom, Thomas Lennon, who are guys from The State, the old sketch comedy group, The State, who went on to become uh, screenwriter hacks for these big blockbuster, uh, you know, me- mediocre movies. They'd, they'd be the first to admit that, like, Night at the Museum is not Citizen Kane. But it made them multimillionaire screenwriters. And they wrote a book that I recommend every creative person read about screenwriting, but it's very honest. And one of the one of the best bits of advice they give is uh, don't buy a big house. A lot of people, when they experience <laughs> when they experience like early creative success, the first thing they do is they buy a mansion. But the problem is, is that that work that you got might dry up, but the mortgage payment for that mansion, it's not going anywhere, my friend. Mm-hmm. So don't commit yourself. Don't bloat. Don't commit yourself to a way of life and business that then forces you, and this is the key point, to do horrible things. Capitalism, the fundamental psychological mechanic of capitalism is that it threatens you into doing things that are unconscionable. Most people, the human spirit, we don't want to hurt each other. We want to get along. Most people, if in an unadulterated uh, circumstance, are going to make sure everyone's got enough food to eat and place to sleep and warm. We're just that's just the way we've evolved. But capitalism tricks you and says, actually, no, the only way we're going to allow you to live is if you abuse and exploit everyone else. So don't buy a big house because if you buy a big house, you're going to need money. And if you need money, you'll end up doing things to get that money that you don't want to do. So the way you retain agency is by staying small. Don't mm-hmm. make a lot of big bloated commitments. That was number two. And the third thing was union organizing. Union organizing taught me how to use consensus decision making. It taught me about the modern sort of overeducated bourgeois class, which is most of the people that you and I know and most people that we work with, it's most of our audience, their their, their concerns or anxieties about uh, class and the world and, and, and work and all these things. Um, but the, the coolest thing it gave me was consensus decision-making. And it taught me a very important lesson. Union organizing taught me that there's no utopia. Like there is no utopian ideal. Union organizing is as messy and contentious and difficult as organizing anything else. You know, a, a, a socialist versus a capitalist hierarchy or, or political activity, it is it is difficult. You still got to do a lot of scheduling. People still get in fucking fights and arguments. But, but because it is so much less hierarchical and because it is inclusive rather than exploitative, when you are still going through all those problems that human beings will always have, it somehow produces meaning 
rather than reduce his meaning. Mm. And that was one of the, that was the big discovery for me was that if, if I'm fighting with you, that fight can feel miserable if you're, if one of us is the other's boss, because then right. another one of us is threatened and it, it, it's awful. But if you're in a group of people that are equals and you have a fight and you use consensus decision-making, you, it's different. It's different because consensus decision-making inclusivity rewards different kind of living. It rewards relationship building and it creates a meaning in your life because it builds those relationships. You have to take other people into consideration when you're making decisions and they have to take you into consideration. And when you begin to really understand those obligations, it changes the way you feel about yourself and it changes the way you feel about others. And suddenly what would, what would just be a boring or shitty meeting you know, at a company or whatever, becomes an active relationship creation and meaning making in the world. And so you could take people and be like, put them in one room and they're doing paperwork and emails and they feel awful. Put them in a different room where it's consensus based and it's inclusive. And suddenly the paperwork and the emails feels like they're actually making a life for others around them. And those three things, right? Understanding how the creator economy really works being warned against the danger of bigness, of bloatness, of that need to grow no matter what. And thirdly, how powerful flat hierarchies are, how powerful and meaningful in a human way consensus decision-making is. Those three things combined into, I guess, what became my political philosophy, which is now how the business operates. And I think if you're really honest about your political philosophy, you have to operate businesses in that way. You have to pursue cooperative business structures. You have to pursue consensus. You, you, we're called upon. like That, that makes the best life. We, we have to do business. We're born in a capitalist country. We're not going to fix it anytime soon. You, you want to live? You got, you, everybody's got to serve somebody. We all need jobs. We all need money. You got to work. But within that structure, we can carve out these little spaces that are safe, from the destruction of humanity and the destruction of meaning that the normal capitalist incentives encourage. We can create relationships and create meaning. So is Fortune Horse going to be solvent in a year? I have no fucking clue. But I do know that in the, in the time I have spent building on it, I have increased the amount of love and meaning and joy in the world around me. And we are a for-profit fucking company. You do not have to be a charity. You, don't, you ain't got to be a, a, an NGO or whatever no, all that stuff is perfunctory, superficial bullshit. It is the way you involve other people in your business. Do they have agency? Are they exploited or do they share a profit? Do they share, like, is there profit sharing? Mm -hmm. how, much of it, how much agency do the people around you have? The more you maximize that, the more you become something more than just a person doing a job. And you become a family, you become a community, you become part of something that is actually bigger than yourself. And if you're lucky, if you're very, very lucky, you also get to produce something that you think is beautiful. And ho I hope at Fortune Horse, I think we got the first part in the bag. The struggle is then making art that is beautiful. Because, you know, there are, there are factories that make, you know, ovens in Spain that run on this cooperative model. They'll tell you the same shit. You know, we also then get to make music and jokes and uh, mysteries, which is, baby, it's icing on the cake after all that. I'm sorry I just talked for 10 minutes. No, it was great. I love that. Um, I, I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit more on, on your... I, you know, I do want to return to Worlds Beyond Number more specifically as like a creative endeavor, but sure. Can you talk a little bit more about how your company operates 
specifically like the actual workings of a consensus decision-making business model and also like the actual workings of like a business model where everyone is sharing in the profit. Yes. Okay. So so Marxism 101, just real quick. I swear to God, this will be so fast. (laughs) I swear to God. I swear to God. All right. So capitalism is based on the idea. So you make boxes. I pay you $10 to make a box. You give me the box. You take the $10. I then sell the box for $50 and keep the difference. That is called profit to me. Capitalism is based on this idea. However, that creates this terrible effect that has driven everyone insane uh, and is going to inevitably cause the downfall of society, which is that everyone is completely alienated from the way that their efforts actually interact with the world. Mm -hmm. And then Marx calls this alienation of labor. Uh, So the way you get around that is, is you don't allow that 40 extra dollars to be concentrated in just the one little guy at the top. You spread it around, right? A lot, there's a lot of different ways to do this. My wife works at a media company and a lot of their staff owns shares in the company. A lot of companies allow the employees to own shares and reap dividends of the company. When I worked at Kickstarter, I got stock options. It's very, very common practice, but it should be more. Mm-hmm. Right. You can kind of move that knob anyway. So one of the coolest things we do at Fortune Horse is profit sharing and those profit shares, how much everyone in the cast gets from the show is decided. This is going to blow your mind by consensus. Now, what is consensus? Taylor, you keep saying that word. Do you just mean voting? No. Voting right, the way we do it in America especially, is what's called first past the post. You get 51% of the vote, 50% of the vote plus one more, you win. That side wins, right? Right. That's democracy. But we do is consensus and that's different. In democracy, in a, in, in a, in a majority rule situation, people form alliances, right? You back channel, you build parties. You, can, you, you don't need a government to see this. This can happen with just three people, right? Two of them gang up on the other one. They're always going to get what they want because it's two versus one. But with consensus voting, everyone gets essentially a veto vote of their participation, right? Okay. So in consensus, you have a vote. You see where everyone's at. And we use a method called fist of five, which is you're on a scale of one to five about a decision. One is absolutely not. If we do this, I will have to leave the project. Like I'm walking. One is I'm walking. Five is extraordinarily excited about this. I believe this is the perfect way forward. Two is... No, I'm like, I'm a no, but I could be convinced. And a three is a yes, but I'm a yes, but like, I have some reservations potentially about this. And a four is, you know, kind of in between. <laughs> three and a five. Classic four. Classic, Classic four, four behavior to be between a three and a five. Um, and what that does is you, you vote, you do fist of five, and then that gives you a lay of where everybody's at. And then the twos and the threes and the fours and the fives and the ones all talk. And you try to compromise until you can get everyone to at least a three. And that means you go forward. Or everyone goes to a two and you decide we're not going to do it. So rather than having the majority gang up on a minority, consensus decision making, and this is the real, this is the real mechanic of it that I love that creates the meaning. Mm-hmm. Everyone has to be considered. Sure. Everybody. You cannot move forward, right? So it's it's like you can't leave you can't leave a minority in the in the dust. You got to talk to them. You have to take their considerations into into account, even if they just want to voice them. You have to hear them. It's consensus. It is based on consent. Do we have your consent to move forward? And that part really is the magic sauce, because that creates 
the meaning, that creates the relationship, and it creates the agency that everyone enjoys because you know the group can't leave you in the dust. And when you have people that are operating and living in that way where they're not scared all the time, that's when they can really play and have fun and have confidence and you get to work with the full person and it makes better art. It makes for better colleagues. So that's what we do. So we work on profit sharing and we decide those profit shares by consensus. Each show in Fortunate Horse has their own, has you know developed their own culture around this. Some shows uh, use the Fist of Five method religiously. We call it Fist of Five. We register our numbers. Other shows use a more sort of informal adapt to it. Sometimes they'll only rarely call for a fist of vibe. And sometimes it's just sort of looking around and getting a vibe check. Whereas the whole time we know in the background, anybody can sort of veto this. Sure. Um, some, and every show has decided on their own payment schedule. Cool. Some shows give much more to the producers than others. Some have like a salary caps for certain positions or salary minimums for others. That is for each show to decide as best fits them. So Fortune Horse really isn't we are a production company that is also acts as an umbrella, like a federation of all these shows that are sort of behaving on their own and making their own laws within them. But the one thing I do require when Fortunate Horse is going to a group of people to pitch a show or when someone says they want to develop a show with Fortunate Horse, that is something that we require. We require profit sharing and we require consensus decision making because yeah, that's, you know, I, I believe that makes a meaningful life. And I would rather have a meaningful life and not become a billionaire than try to reach for the brass ring, achieve success for myself over others, and in my wake, leave more explo exploitation and misery. That's just, that's 100% that's all that is. I really love that. I really admire that. I'm working on a bunch of other projects that are beginning to take this into consideration of how we do profits. And this like j just sounds like the best way to do it. It sounds like the most, you know, economical <laughs> and fun. And yeah. I'll I'll, t I'll tell you this something I learned in union organizing. They don't you know, everyone in America. No one knows anything about union organizing. There's a but it's like you should. It's great. So here's what happens when you organize a union. Uh, you organize a union and then you have representatives go and negotiate a contract with mm -hmm. management. Management is required to open the books and show them to the negotiators. Yeah. Think about that. What if an employee? could negotiate their own salary while looking at the accountant books of the company. Right. So if, if, if I'm an employee negotiating for salary and I don't know how much money the company has, then I ask for what I want. I hope I get it. I don't know. What and, if I and ask you hope it's much? the right amount? Yeah, yeah. Like maybe I, I'm, I'm you know? underselling myself, not knowing what, the, what exactly. they're paying. What if I ask for too much? They pay me too much, the company sinks. I didn't know. I don't know how much fucking money you're making because you don't tell me. But in, in the union process, they're forced to tell you. And so everyone is arguing in good faith, mm -hmm. trying to make fair negotiated deals that involve consensus between the investors, the company, and the people who actually provide the value, the labor. Um, they open the books because nobody – you don't want to negotiate a deal that's going to sink your own project. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like it's not being done. It, it just gives everyone like – now I fully understand where you're coming from. I, you fully understand where I'm exactly. coming from. Like we're yeah. operating on even playing field. There's not this like mismatch of information. Exactly. It democratizes information, which is a way of democratizing power. Mm -hmm. I love it. I could talk about this all day. Oh, me too, baby. You, as you can tell. I, I'm sure we're <laughs> going to find our way back to it momentarily. What would a character do if they knew they were part of a story. What would they say to the author that is pulling their strings? 
In Samantha Lee's solo RPG, Death of the Author, players take on the role of a character fighting for control over their narrative. Draw tarot cards and modify scene prompts to bend the story to your will. Each change, however, comes with a consequence, as the author may use your own words against you. Death of the Author is crowdfunding on Backerkit from May 14th to May 28th. You can find the project by searching Death of the Author Backerkit in your search engine of choice. Fight the narrative. Defy your author. Little Wolves is a folktale TTRPG where players fill the fur of shape-shifting werewolves in a realm of fey and of magic called the Enchanted Forest. Players will craft physical masks that represent their characters and use them during play to shift between their wolf and their mortal forms. As they perform favors and complete quests, new marks are made on their masks that reflect the real physical changes that the werewolves undergo. The Enchanted Forest is deep and detailed with fey queens, courts, and all manner of denizen for your werewolves to meet. The crowdfunding campaign for Little Wolves launches May 14th. You can follow the campaign at bytes.rip slash littlewolves. That's B-Y-T-E-S dot R-I-P slash littlewolves. And you can check out the free demo and quick start at bytes.rip slash littledemo. Hey there, it's Elliot from the Many Sided Media team. In addition to playing and producing here on My First Dungeon, I'm also a game designer known for such games as Something is Wrong with the Chickens, a rules-like game of chickens, eldritch horror, and revenge. Project Echo, a solo time travel game played in the pages of a planner. And the upcoming Rom-Com Drama Bomb, a three-player game of meet-cutes and mayhem. If you like weird and unique games and want to bring something new to your table, head to moreblueberries.shop and use code MYFIRSTDUNGEON for 20% off your order. That's M-O-R-E-B-L-U-E-B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot shop. Thanks! But I, but I do want to, I want to spank back to Worlds Beyond Number and talk a little bit about the post-production process for this show. Oh, yeah. A lot of people, this is maybe the first show that they've experienced like this, the first show that they've seen do like extensive post-production sound design and scoring and composing and things. You operate as the show's producer, editor, sound designer, composer. Am I missing any titles there? Gosh. <laughs> I mean, I offer I offer succubus subs, or I guess it'll be incubus services, but no mm-hmm. one's taking me up on them yet. I, yeah, I do everything. I Well, so far. For the, for the audio so far on the public feed, I do everything in post. Now, the, the children's campaign, which is the long, uh, very cool, like, you know, My Neighbor Totoro-esque character creation campaign for the level zero characters, that lives on our Patreon. That was edited and designed by Casey Tony, who's done work for mm-hmm. Tales and the fantastic campaign Skyjacks, Skyjacks yeah. one of my favorite shows. And Neo Scum, of course, also edits Hey Riddle Riddle. If you're an HRR fan, you know Casey from there. And Casey's one of the greatest 
who's ever done it. Uh, so, so Casey worked on the children's campaign with me, but no, for everything on the public feed, I am the sole, I am, I am doing it all. I am cutting it, I'm designing it and scoring it. And we only used, there's only one piece of music that isn't original. We use something from uh, whole planet suites. We use Neptune in episode one, but other than that, it's all original music. Last time we talked, I mentioned that like my episodes take about like eight to 12 hours to edit. I'm now pushing into like the 3540 because I've gotten way more into sound design. Yep. Yep. And I think that's where you were at last time for a Worlds Beyond Number podcast. What's like the average amount of time that you think you're taking? Best guess at this point. My canned answer is somewhere between 40 and 80 hours. Oof. But that that's going to change. I'm tr- I'm really trying to streamline the production process because that is not sustainable. Yep. Uh, that is an irresponsible amount. And I'll tell you this, you know, I've been doing this for three or four years now. Physically, I'm not able to do what I once was. When I first started out, <laughs> I could like stay up all night for a couple of days and do a Rude Tales uh, you know, edit. But now I can't do that anymore. That, that hits me a little bit harder. Sure. Uh, you know, you, you, you hit 40 and there's a, there's a sort of wall of what you're physically able to withstand that's very different from what you could do uh, in your early 30s. So we're trying to streamline the process. One of the problems is in the last year since I talked to you, I've I taught my I well not taught myself. I had a lot of classes and everything like that on music composition. So I could write original music for uh Rude Tales and Worlds Beyond Number. And that has actually added to the production. I was gonna say, yeah, that's a whole other thing. Time. Music is it is the most it is it's the most rewarding thing in my life, like artistically. Like it is it is the most freeing and beautiful and wonderful thing that I've ever done in my life. And I'm I'm angry that I discovered it so late in life. I mm-hmm. wish I had been able to do this younger. But I, I, it's, the, it's my favorite thing in the world now. But oh my God, does it add production time? It, it's like composing an original piece of music is time intensive if you want it to be good. So I put way too much time in these. It's irresponsible. I get to because I'm self-employed. If I had a boss, they would kill me. I, mm-hmm. I think they wouldn't even fire me. They would just put me in a pit like an oubliette <laughs> so that no one's ever, you know, able to really catch my mind virus that makes me do this. So you live down there now. Yeah. Stay. <laughs> Please, let me just edit one more, sir. No. No XLR cable will reach down there. <laughs> I, I'm scrawling a podcast on the wall like <laughs> the Marquis de Sade, the my own form. fecal matter and blood. Yeah. <laughs> and then Brennan says, oh, there's a hole in the mountain pass. Uh, <laughs> You know, G flat, A sharp. <laughs> it's scrawling. Uh, uh, God knows I would probably do it. It's become, it's become a pathology for me at this point. So listen, the answer to your question is too fucking long. Way mm-hmm. too long. Way, way, way too long. Trying to get better about that. Um, we're making hires. We're expanding the team at Fortune Horse. I'm trying to bring in like consultants and experts to tell me how to do this more quickly and better. Uh, and I'm trying to build up a music library so that we don't have to compose original cues for every single thing we do. Mm-hmm. But that's the problem is like the pilot, right? Like the beginning, you're making everything from scratch. Right. Five episodes from now, I'll know, oh, I'll use the same music or the same spell design. Oh, that's an imperial that's that's an imperial illusion spell. Well, I just I have a hotkey that just immediately places that file into my Pro Tools session. Right. Whereas now it's like, hmm, Imperial Magic. What should the sound design ethos be for Imperial Magic? Let me do a day and a half of research and playing around with different synthesizers and musical instruments and VSTs and try to find, you know, so it's just like the first episode is a 
mountain-sized amount of labor bigger than every other episode after it. And that is like all of that work to find one sound design, one sound cue that will last about three quarters of a second. And no one will notice that, 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 like, no one will notice that every Imperial spell has like sonic consistency across (laughs) it uh, and how it interacts with the different kinds of magic in the world of Amora. No one will notice. You say that. I don't. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people who sit there and go, "Oh, that's an imperial." Like, I don't think there's going to be people who hear and and be like, "That's an imperial summoning spell or whatever." But I think in anything, when that amount of care is taken with something, it does come across. Like maybe not on a super like no one's actively thinking about it, but those things accumulate over time and o- over a body of work, and that becomes what it is. I mean that I, mean, I think that labor of love comes across. And this is the thing of like, I feel like I'm building a cathedral that will be completed long after I am in the oubliette. The oubliette in the cathedral. That's the first thing you build. Oh, they put you in well, the oubliette to start. You've got to watch it being built over top of you. Uh, they call it an oubliette, but I can't forget. Look at that beautiful, <laughs> that beautiful cathedral. So no, the answer to your question is too, too, too long. Uh, and, and just out of curiosity, what... What production considerations are you trying to streamline specifically? Is that just with hires or is that with your specific production process as well? The actual production process. Okay. The actual production process. It's, you know, it is, it's very difficult to find uh, tools and software that are for this like very specific use case. Mm -hmm. I use a lot of tools that are made for people in adjacent practices, musicians, filmmakers, um, uh, people like that that don't exactly fit my purposes. Even Pro Tools, it's it, it can be difficult to work in Pro Tools, uh, mm-hmm. which can do everything, but it sometimes it feels like it can do everything, but it's just not optimized for editing a two and a half hour audio uh, drama with irresponsible amounts of music and sound production. You know, I mean, there's a million things like that. I'm, you know, I'm working on audition. All of a sudden, you know, I'm seeing like, 15, 18, 20 tracks of sound design and music. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, it, it yeah. Gets and then iffy. try adding like like real-time plug-in and like virtual instrument yep. on top of that. Uh, it is a nightmare. I So we were, so the episode was supposed to release at midnight on like 12.01 a.m. on March 1st. And it ended up going out at 11.50 or something mm-hmm. the next night. So I still hit March 1st. And this and so <laughs> cue the fire. The history books will say March 1. But the computer, I am doing this all on like a 2018 MacBook Pro. And Pro Tools was crashing. And occasionally the computer was shutting down. Every, I am not kidding you. I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. I counted for three days. It shut down every 10 to 20 minutes. Wow. I am not kidding. While you were working or while you're trying to export? No, while I am, while I'm finishing it, like while I'm working on it. And you, cause you can't, like it, it was miserable. I cried. I wept on Saturday. Oh, no, it wasn't Saturday. It would have been on like, what was it? When, like the morning of the first. Yeah. Like I got up and I, I you know, I was just like, no, like it's the most frustrating thing in the world. It was torture. Absolute torture. So like the heart, like the the actual technicalities of the production need a makeover. And so we're getting that. I can't even imagine uh, that. Oh, you know, I'm sorry you had to go through that. As someone who's doing some of this stuff, I'm like, that sounds like a nightmare. 
I deserve it. No, no one deserves it. No one deserves the the Pro Tools crash. Oh, no. Go look at this Bruegel painting called The uh, Fall of Icarus. One of my favorite paintings. (laughs) (laughs) Too close to the sun, my my child. Too close. It's a a fantastic painting because it's this great, you know, pastoral sort of bucolic like Bruegel landscape. And just there's there's a little foot sticking out of the river, that, and no one notices. <laughs> <laughs> no, everyone else is just going about their life. One of my favorite paintings. I love it. I fucking love that. I think the the last thing I want to talk about. I mean, the last thing that's on my list. I, I would talk with you forever. I do want to talk a little bit about your your Patreon specifically. Sure. Because looking at your page at Fortunate Horses Patreons. Especially when we first talked about the um, oh, these of Sarfs of Space Patreon specifically. I see so many shows that I like, they put out Patreons, and you know, a lot of the tiers are like ad-free episodes or you know, just mm-hmm. general thanks or whatever. Oh, these of Sarfs of Space was here's what you like. You like this show. You give us five bucks a month, you're gonna get a whole other show. Mm-hmm. This is what you like, we're gonna give you more of what you like. That's the deal. I love that philosophy of this is our community. We know what you want. We're going to give you more. Th- We're going to provide value to you. Hey, oh, these are stars of space. Great Patreon. We've, Great Patreon. <laughs> we, we've had some very good episodes come out recently. Some of my favorites. Joe, who DMs and produces that show, is just on fire creatively. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just, mm-hmm. this year has been his best ever. It's it's great. I just listened to the, uh, the Thread Count 9000 brother episode. Oh, I loved that one so much. It was much. really good. So I think that is the perfect way that people should be operating these types of things. You're building a community. You're providing value to that community. You're not just, it's not one-way street. You're not just asking for something. You're giving something. And you're giving something mm-hmm. that people actually care about, pe- pe- what people actually want. Over the past couple of years with Fortune Horse, what have you found to be the most and least successful things you've been doing on Patreon oh, wow. specifically? Wow. Um, what's the least successful thing we've done on Patreon? What is the, what is, how do you define success? I mean, and that's the question too. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I, it could be monetarily. It could be just community building. It could be what felt good for you guys and what was fun for you guys. Gosh, I don't know how to answer that. I mean, I'll tell you the most successful stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I this, this is totally my opinion. Uh, this is just how I vibe on it. Tim Platt's games that he has made for the Rude Tales yeah. Patreon are Fantastic. Tim Platt, who is a cast member of Rude Tales of Magic, plays Stir Fry, uh, one of the most uh, <laughs> controversial and I would argue beloved characters in all of literature. Uh, <laughs> uh, he runs these games for our Patreon that I think is some of the funniest stuff I've ever heard in my life. Tim mm-hmm. is one of my favorite stand-ups. He is one of my favorite comedy writers. I have been a fan of his long before we started working together, before we became friends. We met because I was producing a stand-up show that he would perform at. I was, I've was i been a fan before we ever shook hands. Uh, and he makes these games that I just think that his point of view and his writing is so good. It, it's, it's wild that that lives on our Patreon, mm-hmm. that you can get something that good on a Patreon is, is mind-blowing to me. I love it. I, the stuff that you know, I really would love to ask the patrons this question. I, I'll tell you this: for for worlds beyond number, the way we think of it is, we were like, okay, what is our fundamental approach to this Patreon? How do we want to do it differently? What is our if we ha- if, if if we could write one rule down for our Patreon? What is that rule going to be? And the, the 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 number one principle that we came up with is deal. Yep. 
we want to make the best deal on the internet. We want to make, we want to give you the highest amount of pleasure for the lowest amount of dollars. Saying pleasure like that feels sensual, frankly. I nailed it. <laughs> you know, people you know? people know what they're getting when they're signing up yeah. for the World's Beyond Number <laughs> Patreon. It's a sensual deal. It's <laughs> <laughs> I said I offer incubus services and sensual deals, and here we are. All you have no, to do is go to the so, bottom of the oubliette, ask for the incubus, <laughs> yes. and you let, have to listen to his composition first. I'll wash off. I'll clean up. Uh, there is a shower down here. Uh, I so yeah so that our 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 goal was deal like we want to we want to give 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 and we're gonna start off with one tier five bucks that's it we are going to do a poll in a few months maybe of all of our Patreon backers and be like okay now that we're at the normal pace we're not we're not we're no longer in that crazy first quarter of 2023 release schedule mm-hmm. yeah, that was just as complicated as any major motion picture release plan. No, now we're in the normal, you know, bi-weekly off, chat show on the off weeks, podcast cadence that everybody loves. What do we want to see out of that Patreon even more? Uh, and then we're going to give it to them. And it might be a higher tier. It might be changing the way we do certain feeds. Who knows? It can be anything. We see it as a a living document. Like, like the things can change and we want to give people the best deal. So we're going to ask folks what they want to see and then change and grow the Patreon according to what they want. So we're not guessing, we're not making weird, you know, predictions over what people will want. Just going to ask them, what do you want it to be? And try to turn it into that as, as much as we can, which I think is a really cool plan. I, I think if I ever launch more Patreons in the future, we'll go with that philosophy of like offer as much as you can and leave space to adapt and grow according to what people want. Because one thing I learned with my early Patreons was like too many tiers up top and mm-hmm. promising too many specific things in certain places. Mm-hmm. Because then inevitably, once you get in, you're like, well, we don't, we're not like no one really likes, like no one's really banging the doors down for this one thing we were offering. Right. And it's kind of annoying for us to make. And yet, but now it's on there and we have to do it, you know? Leave space for flexibility and then use that flexibility to have a conversation with the people that are providing that material foundation for the art to exist in the first place. Uh, and, and I think we're doing pretty well. I, I think that the yeah. dropping the children's campaign, this, uh, you know, entire campaign just about character creation on the Patreon. I'm very proud of that. I think that's great. Uh, and Casey did a great job. Yeah. And p- the, the, the the response we're hearing from it from the patrons is phenom- way more than we ever asked for. Yeah. Um, uh, just, 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 just has been incredible, uh, and I can't wait to see what else we do on there. Like, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a fun playground. I really think of that dropping the children's campaign kind of like when Taylor Swift has done this Beyonce when they when people drop like surprise albums. That's just so such a service to your fans into the community you've built. It's like, hey guys, I know you you love us. You're paying us this amount of money. This is the deal we have. We're gonna make that deal better. Boom. Yeah. And it's not, we threw this together in an afternoon. This is fully produced. This is for you. This is, we want to maintain this community and add value to this community. Boom. And I'll, and I'll tell you this though, too. I mean, caveat emptor, like that model, not going to work for smaller creators that haven't established a big following yet. For sure. We, we are able to do that because of Bria and Erica and Lou and Brennan have spent their early careers building that following. So because they have that investment of their time and attention and work, we were able to take a model that front loads the value for the patron. Um, whereas a smaller creator and other podcasts I have launched, 
wouldn't have been able to do that financially. It wouldn't make sense. Right. Um, but, but here we could do that. And so we really wanted to take advantage of it. I think it's great. I'm looking, I am also looking, I am a patron. I, I was right on there first day. Oh, great. Good. Um, so I'm very excited to see what you guys do uh, in the future on that. We talked at length in one of our previous episodes about literal how to make a narrative play podcast. So how to make something like this. Are there any addendums you would add to people who, after hearing Worlds Beyond Number, maybe want to start incorporating some aspects of more deliberate post-production into their workflow? Are there any like tools or things that you've found, especially over the past year since our last conversation, that you would recommend? I think that almost anybody can learn to play a little music and that you can add music to your show, original music to your show, and I think a little in, in a way that's easier than maybe you're imagining. So, and I learned all this in the last year. I didn't know anything about virtual instruments or, or, or MIDI, anything like that at all, nothing. And so I've learned, I took a huge crash course uh, and it's all very confusing and complicated, but there are, there are free DAWs, you know, like, like Reaper's very, Reaper's free or the, the, the paid version is very cheap. Mm-hmm. Even GarageBand uh, can do this. Yeah. Um, I mean, NADPOD was doing GarageBand for the first yeah. like year they were doing stuff or something. Yeah. And I don't know what Emily was is composing in. I don't know. I should ask her about this. But you can find um, free virtual instruments online that sound fantastic. And just sitting, learning, like watching one YouTube video about basic chords and then getting a cool piano instrument loaded up and playing it underneath your show is going to unlock a feeling in you that I'm jealous that you get to experience it for the first time. That's what that's what I will say. I use a service called Artlist, which has like, there's a sound library and like sound effects library. So most of what I do is using like pre-designed music and pre-designed sound effects mm-hmm. and then layering those in ways that, you know, kind of make new things. And there is something beautiful when you lay down a piece of music and time it up to like, for it to swell to the, you know, the minor mm-hmm. chord right when the bad guy says that. Like, it hits you. Like, there's a it reason people use music. Yeah. And, oh, oh it fucking works. Like, we, yeah. we joke on Root Tales all the time about how, like, music is the biggest cheat code in art. Oh, yeah. It is, it is the art Konami cheat code. I mean, come on. It's, music is the most direct, other than, like, erotic touch, music <laughs> is the most direct way to affect someone's emotions. Really. I mean, I guess, like, you could show them a scary picture or whatever. You know, I, I don't want to compare. I don't want to get in a fight over which art form is best. But, me, like, the magic you can... Music is fucking magic. Music is the closest thing we have to emotional actually being to cast mm-hmm. magic on another person. Yeah, I would say, like, try writing your own little music. I know that sounds really fucking intimidating. It really does sound intimidating. Because you're you're imagining... Uh, like the complicated stuff that you love and have listened to and moved you. And you because you can't think of it right now, you don't know how to do it right now, you think that's not for me, I don't know how to do it. But just try a little. And if you try a little for long enough, maybe that's a couple of hours, maybe it's a couple of weeks, just try a little bit. You there, One thing will happen, one little moment will happen where you figure out like one, a three, just three notes that like fit your story perfectly and you will put it in the right place and you will listen back to it and it will sound to you like all the great movies and TV shows and podcasts that you love sounded to you and it will blow your heart up uh, and you will not be able to stop doing it anymore. That's what happened to me and I think that can happen to others. Uh, uh, it, It rules. Try that out. I am beginning to get to the point now where 
the sound effects in like this library. And like I'm layering like five or six different sound effects to make one thing sometime to make it like what sure. I want. And like I've gone through a bunch of the music and I found I've I've stripped clean a lot of like the very best things in it. I'm literally looking across my apartment right now to a piano I bought right before the pandemic that I practiced diligently for like six months and then stopped. And I'm also in my head thinking about like the Foley that I've wanted to do for something because I couldn't find that exact sound effect for what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I'm dangerously close to making that jump to going from like an already irresponsible amount of time I put in these shows to a ludicrous (laughs) amount of time that I put into these shows. (laughs) Get a cheap MIDI keyboard and get some free, cool, like uh, the the Spitfire Labs are just a huge collection of very cool sounding free virtual instruments um that 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 I would suggest it's 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 a lot of fun to play around with it has changed my life kind of on that note out right now would have been the entire children's adventure and the first episode is there anything in those episodes or in like future episodes that people should be listening for sonically like either music or sound design that you are particularly proud of that you think has been like was the best part of that episode from like your perspective I, it would be... Choose from among your children, Taylor. That's what I want you to do. It would be the height of hubris. <laughs> It'd be the height of hubris for me to call a shot like that this early in the uh, in the show. I I don't know. I feel like right now we're, we're I'm laying a lot of chips down. Mm-hmm. I'm placing a lot of bets. We're building sort of this foundation. I think the real test to see that if I can score it successfully is going to be in... You know, into summer maybe. Like, look, like I don't know. You know, don't don't quote me on the date there. But like, look towards the end of like our first sort of mini arc within the main story, mm-hmm. and look back and see if if the score and sound design have remained like consistent and emotive and rewarding and supporting of the story. Then I will say success. But as far as right now, I just I feel like I've called a lot of shots, but no one's thrown really the first pitch to me. I'll be excited to see uh, what that batting what that batting average is come come oh, summer. I will say this though. I will say this though. Oh, there we go. There's there the hubris. Is, I, okay, here I we go. I do. I I won't. No, I won't tell you what's good. I won't tell you what's good because I I don't know if I can say what's good. Um, but I know that what I what I like mm-hmm. um is I've got a a woodwind sound uh, that I associate with the spirit world of Umora mm-hmm. in the witch, the wizard, the witch and the wild one that I love. I love that sound. I will just sit here at my keyboard and I will just like play and listen. And I will find myself like falling asleep, not out of boredom, but out of just this deep, peaceful feeling. Um, so I have to be <laughs> careful when I'm composing with it. Cause I will just lose the thread and just drift off into this sort of abyss of uh, sound. And that's the, the, the woodwind sound for the spirit world. I, I love. Is it good? Only time will tell, my friend. Only time will tell. I didn't ask you what was good. I asked you what you were proud of, which, you know, I'm not proud, proud of, of I just like stuff. It. I'm proud of nothing. I'm trash. I am a hack. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let, me, let me be very, very clear. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I don't know what I ought to be doing. Everything I do is, I am just going with my gut and everything is paper clips and rubber bands held together with chewing gum uh, and threats. Uh, and that's it. I I truly am a hack who is just trying to scrape by uh, and make something that is fun. I don't know. I have no fucking clue what I'm doing. My favorite part about being on a television or film set is looking at the camera because the proper way to attach a lot of things to a camera is with something called a bongo tie, which is just a slightly fancy rubber band. And with that tool, you're making the most beautiful things that make you cry. So... 
you say it's held together with paper clips and rubber bands, but that is the way that like true great art is made. So, you know, don't yeah. knock it, man. For this show, for Worlds Beyond Number, for Fortunate Horse, what do you see for the the near and distant future? What does in a nebulous way, what does success look like for you as Oh God, let's talk about it, baby. Let's talk about dreams. Let's, let's talk about in. ambitions. Yeah. Right, number one, I, I I want to I want to make Oh, this is so fucking grandiose. But it's fun to dream, man. Brian, I love like, you coming like, in hot. I love it. <laughs> it's fun. Like, I don't play the lottery, but I still kind of fantasize about what I would do if I won it, you know? Oh, yeah, me too. I get yeah, that. Right. Like, and it's always, like, it's always like, give a bunch of friends money. It's just like, let's fucking oh, yes. do it, man. Yeah. Let's buy a uh, bar and just give everyone free drinks for like a month. Me Why too. Not? I, fa- I fantasize about buying houses and opening them up for artist-like residencies for my friends. Who- oh, yeah. Like I need a place to work. My my one I joke about is I'll buy an apartment building. Everyone can have free rent. Yes, uh, but but w- once once a month you have to come play board games with me. Like <laughs> you got you got to sign up one day a month or something. Like you're like a uh, fucking Bill Mooney's character in like the, the Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> the kid it's like I'll let you live in paradise where you never die, but you've got to play games with me or I send you to the cornfield. Say like, all right, it's Tuesday. Who's playing Wingspan? <laughs> 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 Twilight Imperium again? Shut up, honey. We need this apartment. <laughs> this is three I bedrooms. Would... There's only two of us. <laughs> We're paying twelve fifty a month. Twelve dollars and fifty cents a month. <laughs> uh, yeah. So okay. So fantasy is. Yes. I think that, and this is what I've been trying to do with Fortunate Horse, artistically. But I think that because. The Worlds Beyond Number Crew is bringing this enormous audience to this sort of show for the first time. We've got a good shot at it. But I would really like to sort of reintroduce the audio drama as common entertainment. That is not a nerd niche thing. I think, I hope, I hope, and I do think that Fortunate Horse shows sometimes do approach the level of quality. (laughs) Yes. That yes. You think you hope? Are you come kidding on? Me? I, <laughs> All right, fuck, fuck off a little bit. All right, fuck off just a little bit. <laughs> I'm trying to be humble, but like, God damn it! There's humble and there's condescension. Some... All right, let's let's okay, be clear. Let's right. be clear. You're, you're, Brian, you fucking got me. You got me, dude. You fucking got me. That was condescending, and I'm, I'm full of shit. I'm sorry. Uh, you are right. You are correct. Please leave this in so everyone sees how humble I am. Oh, boom! <laughs> got you. Got you. <laughs> All right, game respect yeah, game. To. Game respect game. I, you're right. Uh, <laughs> Four Shore shows fucking rule. <laughs> we make a lot of fun stuff. My favorite comedy right now is being made here. Unfortunately, I would like to see a world where audio drama is back and it is a common form of entertainment. And I think in order to do that, we have to have models of production that allow democratization. And that is, that's why actual plays are so cool for it. See, Actual play podcasts aren't really actual play podcasts. What we are doing is we are making audio fiction with a very cool and new production method. Right. People got to switch their brains into that mode a little bit. That's what our last conversation was about. So I don't want to rehash all that. And if you haven't listened to that conversation, you you better. Um, But (laughs) if we can do that, if if we can do it right, uh, then I think we'll have audio drama will be this cool new thing again that people can say, 
more well, more people can say, like, I want to have a career in there, so I want to make this kind of show. And I like that because it's it's very democratizing, right? Mm-hmm. Audio is very democratized. Uh, podcast distribution is very democratized. The only problem with podcasts these days is discovery uh, and threats yeah. to the open RSS system like Spotify and et cetera. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know if that's a problem we can really solve. P- people right. complain about discoverability, but that's the price we pay for democratizing access to cultural production is you have a lot of art. Sorry. First world right. problems. I don't want to hear any complaining. Says the guy <laughs> who got the famous D&D guy to be on his show. <laughs> Fucking cocky asshole. Uh, <laughs> me, I'm talking about me. That would be cool. I would like to help legitimize audio drama as a common mainstream form of entertainment. I would like to, uh, I would also like, I really hope that people pay enough attention to us to try and replicate our business model yeah. of, I really want people to see that non-exploitative, consensus-based ways of doing business are profitable and possible and sustainable. I really want to demonstrate that so that other people coming after me or even in competition with us can see that that's something they can try. And hopefully that will lead to just better lives and better work for other people in the, in in the space or whatever. I really hope we're able to spread that, that word. I don't know. It's that, that is an uphill battle that is generations long. I don't know if we'll ever be able to put a dent in, but all you can do is do your best and try, right? If there is one space that it could happen in easier than others, it is both podcast or audio and the tabletop role-playing game space. I think so. I think so. Because the art is so already inherently consent-based and mm-hmm. social-based. Uh, you know, we, we're already playing with this thing that incentivizes and encourages and rewards loving and playing with others in that way. I hope that we can translate that to business models as we continue to move that into the space of entertainment, which I think is endlessly cool. I hope that people stop thinking about actual play as an extension of the game space and start seeing it as just a different kind of entertainment. I I think that putting actual play in the D&D or tabletop role-playing game box sucks. I think that that is a limiting, shitty concept that is holding us back from a new, beautiful medium. Again, I'm repeating myself. I won't go into it too much more. Um, And I hope that the fifth show I'm launching this summer is a success. (laughs) 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 We are putting out – this is the first time I'm talking about it publicly. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, We're going to try and launch another show. I can't say any details about it. Okay. I can't. Hmm. Tell, tell me, uh, tell me how you, why you're excited about it. You know, it's kind of tease the edges. It's a, tease the it's edges. a genre that we have that Fortune Horse hasn't done before. Okay, but it's a genre that is extremely important to me personally. I'm working with top tier talent that I have been adoring for years and years, and let's just shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Here we go. Okay, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I, I, I cannot say any details. I cannot reveal the name. I cannot reveal who's working on the show, although I'm very excited to travel soon to uh, go visit with them and record some stuff. Uh, but let's just say you'll be... <laughs> Hopefully this summer, you'll be fearing it in your fear phones. Nightmare. Nightmare that you just said that, and I have to keep it in. I can't I, lose oh, it. I don't want I to give you any frightmares. <laughs> boo. Oh, no. Did you just say boo like a ghost? <laughs> no. <laughs> Got him. Oh, I contributed to the nightmare.
That's all I can say. That's all I can slay about <laughs> oh, cat. Black God, cat. Jesus. That's all I can uh, slay about cat. That's all I can say. A boot cat. Not not Canadian. Ghost style. I'm very excited to see what it is. Oh, this will be very fun. Anyone who's listening to this in July or August, tune back into this and see, you know, did, did it match your expectations? Did you, did you think it was going to be uh, frightful pun based? Is it? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're going to try and launch a fifth show this summer, which is and my literally my friends and family have made me promise to this is the last one for a while. <laughs> I'm not allowed to launch any new shows. Uh <laughs> For the foreseeable future after this one. But we got another show brewing and I'm very excited. I fucking love that. With your desire to get more into audio drama. I love audio drama. You know, Hitchhiker's Guide audio drama is like one of my favorite sure. things in the world. It's amazing. I've gotten into more like with Q Code and different things, different um, production companies who are doing more production, post-production heavy uh, things. I've really loved them. I always find that scripted narrative drama, scripted audio drama is not as compelling as mm-hmm. improvised audio drama. I don't even yep. think it's close. Yep, I agree. Are you going to keep to a more improvised style? Yes. Oh, that's what we do. We play games to make stories out of sound, baby. That's that's the business model. I I, I don't, I mean, I can see me doing something scripted, you know, as a goof or a small project. Or I can see us like, maybe we write something in the world of one of the shows and release it as like an mm-hmm. audio thing. Um, but no, I I agree. I, 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 I agree with you. Like, I feel that these improvised narratives where I'm sort of getting the best of both audio worlds, I'm getting the drama and I'm also getting the friendship conversations. Um, It's, you know, it's combining both. It's it's like, what, what do we know people like to listen to? Good music. We know that people like to listen to good music. Two, a hundred years of radio DJs and drive time personalities <laughs> have taught us that people love to hear goofy friends goofing around and doing goofs and hanging out. That's two things. And the third thing is people love to be told stories. Mm-hmm. So if you combine those three things, what you get are narrative play podcasts. Yeah. Like, like that's what people don't understand is like, this is not, we're not a goddamn D show. This is a new form of entertainment that is, made possible by what we learned from tabletop role-playing games. Uh, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that, let's just do a little philosophy or like historical tangent. Yes, here. please. I don't think it's a coincidence that tabletop role-playing games, as we know them, which began with, you know, D&D in the, in the late 60s, early 70s, that's also when improv as an art form began to be practiced. Interesting. Like the middle of the 20th century, you see the creation of both those things, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that something economically, culturally, socially was happening that allowed, because they're, they're essentially the same thing. Like D and D adds the very cool feeling of like making numbers and squares fit in the same place. But a D, you know, D and D is essentially improv with math and Tolkien added to it, and mm. that fucking rules. <laughs> you know, if you love those three things, and I know millions of people who do, it slaps. And so, you know, it, it's great. So those came along, and something happened at that time. Something in the world, some, something, something was going on to allow those two improvised narrative creation art forms, or games, or whatever you want to call them, because both of them are neither really one or the other, mm-hmm. um, sort of happen at the same time. You combine that with good music and what we know about, you know, like I said, like drive time DJs telling us what people like to listen to. That's what you get. You get 
the 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 parasocial experience of hearing these friends tell the story, the actual drama of the fiction and story, and this beautiful music. I mean, like that rules. Those are the three things people love to listen to the most. It is not a surprise, and it should not be a hard pitch to the world to get them <laughs> to understand that is a successful thing that we could be doing. So I don't, know, you know, it could work. That's all I'm saying. I think people just got to hear it, and then once once you hear it, you understand it. Once you understand it, you love it. Yeah, I, and that, that's what's so great. I, I tell you, this world's beyond number thing. It fucking rules. It's so many new people hearing this stuff for the first time. It's great. I have seen thousands of people who were like, I've never done a podcast before. I'll check that out. Or like, oh, uh, what's a Patreon? Like all these things, like are because their audience that they're bringing to it, the cast is so large. So many people are experiencing every aspect of this for the first time. It's It's wild to see. And these are the most democratized aspect. I mean, you know, Patreon is democratization of capitalism, kind of. Uh, you know, podcasting is democratization of art because it's so easy and uh, simple to get into. Easy to make. Now, if you if you say podcasts are easy to make online, people will yell at you for two days. They're wrong. Compared to everything else, podcasting is the best. It is the easiest to make. Yeah, and it for is sure. the most accessible. Yeah, hundred percent. I did see someone say it was easy to make, and I just finished a forty hour edit, and I was like, all right, fuck off, just a little bit. Like, <laughs> but. Like, us, we are doing that to ourselves. I, I know, like, I know. It, you know, the, the actual technology of a podcast is easier to broadcast for sure, and it is easier to consume than even the written word. So, I, I you know, uh, depending on your level of uh, hearing, you know, I don't want to universalize everyone's access to sound, uh, that's not true, but, but like, uh, you know, and like it's easier to, like, for those of us who can hear, it is easier to listen to someone talk than to carry a book around for sure. So, it, you know, really, podcasts are one of the most democratizing forces in culture right now uh that's why i like them so much i feel like i let's move to an outro i guess is there anything else you wanted to cover talk about touch on any, anything from world's bound number you want to promote in any way okay two things number one if you're curious about the show you don't know if you're gonna like it just jump right into the preludes episode on the main feed and give it 10 20 minutes and if you don't like it don't worry like dip out but like i would say if you want to just try the show out just start at the preludes episode and, and see how that feels for you. Two, if you love it and you want that you want all the Patreon stuff, but times are fucking hard, you know, I know this as well as anybody else, believe me, it's okay to like come on the Patreon, subscribe for one month, download everything, and then dip out. That's cool. That's fine. We're not gonna get mad at you. And if nothing else, even right now, there's 10 hours of a of a children's campaign you can grab. Yep. So you'll be fine for a month, probably. Yeah. Although we so, so many people binged it in one day. Incredible. I really wanted to. I really wanted to so bad. I've, I've got it now for the weekend, so it'll be good. That is it for this episode of My First Dungeon. Taylor, thank you so much for coming on the show, being so generous with your time. Always a pleasure, never a chore. Thank you so much. I love talking with you about this stuff. I'm sorry I go on and on. but you get No, me, are you kidding Brian, me? Brian, you get me revved up. The the easiest thing about being the interviewer is just knowing how to shut up and let the person who's more interesting talk. Like that's more that's interesting. The key to being a good interviewer. I don't know about interesting, but I can definitely talk. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> one thing I get. In my incubus services and talking. Those are two things I can guarantee. That's true. I can vouch for the incubus services uh, and the talking. So you know, in case anyone's, in case you're on the fence about either the Patreon or the incubus services, maybe go with the incubus services first. I could, you know, they're both good. <laughs> five stars. <laughs> five stars. No notes. Five stars. Please, five stars. Can you uh, just tell the people if they're looking for you online where they can find you? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm taylor.biz on all the social places. 
Uh, and you can find Worlds Beyond Number at worldsbeyondnumber.com. But most importantly, patreon.com slash worldsbeyondnumber. Oh, wait, hold on. I forgot. I, I, I never had a fortunate horse site. Fortunatehorse.com. Yeah. Check out all the fortunate horse shows. You got Fun City. You've got Oh, These Are the Stars of Space. You've got Rude Tales of Magic. And you've got now Worlds Beyond Number. They're all great. You're going to love each and every one of them. And soon, a fifth show headed for Boo. <laughs> that Boo might enjoy listening, Boo. All right. Uh, say goodbye to Taylor. This is the last time he's going to be on the show. <laughs> boo, everyone. <laughs> no! It's been lovely stalking to Boo. <sighs> oh, I got to go. <sighs> okay. To the hospital. Bye. All right. Bye, everybody. Oh, great. And that is all for this episode of My First Dungeon. You can follow us on Twitter at My First Dungeon. And if you like the show, you should consider subscribing to the 20-Sided Newsletter, our bi-monthly newsletter about TTRPGs, game design, and cool things going on in this great community. Subscribers get access to extended interviews with our guests, as well as exclusive first looks at games that Elliot and I are designing, and so much more. And if you like the show, the very best way you can support us is by going to your podcast player right now, clicking follow, and leaving us a review. It helps more people find the show, and it lets us know that you like what we're doing. And as always, remember, if you're having fun, you're already doing it right. If you're hearing this, that means you listen to every last second of this episode. If you're not caught up yet, that's great because then there's plenty more to listen to. But if you are caught up and you simply can't wait for the next episode, then you should head on over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod and become a member of the Dice Pool. For just a few bucks a month, you'll get cast talkbacks, original games, and a full-length bonus actual play each and every month. As of the end of 2023, there is already over 20 hours of bonus audio, plus a whole bunch of other goodies to enjoy. So head on over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod and jump into the dice pool. We'll see you there.